The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Amen. Well, this morning, as you open your Bible, uh, you're going to be in Romans chapter 11 this morning. Romans chapter 11. Uh, if you remember your Bible, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Romans chapter 11. We will be in the last verse. This is a one-verse sermon, which can be scary for you sitting down because you think, how much can you really get out of a sermon with one verse? And I remind you, as we take a little break, if you've spent a minute, we've taken kind of October to go through the five solos of the Reformation, grace alone, faith alone. We preached on those the last two weeks. Today, God's glory alone, sola, or excuse me, soli de gloria, to God's glory alone. Next week, Nelson will tackle um, scripture alone, sola scripture. In two weeks, uh, Willie will be, Brother Willie will be tackling uh, in Christ alone. And uh, I asked our staff and intern Ben this week, and Ben just threw up his hands because he's had these debates all his life. And I said, what is the specific order? How should we start this? Do we start with scripture first and then preach on this and this and this and this? And we all just agreed. We just need to preach these truths because they are truths of scripture. And whatever order you take them in, it doesn't matter because they are scripture. So today, I will just say this. We're entering to God's glory alone. Typically, what we're preaching on now is the last in this five sola sermon because it all builds up, doesn't it? To God's glory. But you get it three of the five in. And that's okay, right? You'll, you'll live, I'll live, we'll get there. But with that in mind, will you join me in standing if you're able this morning? We're actually going to back up to verse 33, but we're going to specifically focus on verse 36 this morning. Soli Deo Gloria. That is Latin for to God's glory alone. Your salvation is all of God. And we will talk about that and some other intricacies this morning. Here it is, Paul writing after laboring for 11 chapters. You know why he was laboring? Because people were fighting within the church. Oh, spare the thought. That never happens, does it? Jews were over here saying, we got the corner on the market. Gentiles were over here saying, we got the corner on the market. And they were doing this. And he said, no, do this. Get you together. So 11 chapters of laboring. He gets more to the doxology. He gets to the praise. This is what he says. Verse 33. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And notice your Bible probably has some italics or quotes. This is quoting Old Testament. 4 verse 34, who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift to him that he might be repaid? 4 verse 36, from him, notice the prepositions, from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Will you join me in prayer this morning? I pray that our eyes are lifted a little higher. I pray your hearts are encouraged a little more broadly this morning. But I pray also that we just thank God that he, he works in our lives despite all the glory that he has. What an amazing God he is. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at this great truth of Scripture, the, to God's glory alone. Father, it, it kind of seems in, in the, 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 the consumeristic world, the, the all-about-me world we live in, it kind of seems that we ask that question internally. Well, what about us? Father, it is a part of where we will be going this morning, what the Scripture says. 
But ultimately, first of all, above all things, in preeminence, you stand, Lord, above all, because there's no one like you in heaven or on earth, and we are so grateful for that. So, Lord, give us wisdom today. Thank you for everyone here. May our studies just encourage our hearts, whatever situations we brought in, whatever baggage we're holding on to internally before you, would you just help us to see you as you really are? Not by me, but by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, there was a man who couldn't keep a job, and no, we're not talking about modern-day workers, by the way. He was a church organist, and he was so good at what he did that the churches didn't know what to do with him. His music was so grand, so great, that everyone just said, get out of here. So glad churches don't grumble about music uh, today, do they? Oh, oh, they sure do. But I'm grateful we don't hear. And no doubt he was forgotten by churches because he literally was so good that people had no idea what to do with him. His name was Johann Sebastian Bach. Maybe you recognize that name before. And once he went, when the pastor of a church was relaying the concerns of the congregation, Bach supposedly responded something like this, and I quote, the main purpose of my music is to glorify God. Some people do this with music that is simple. I haven't chosen to use a simple style. But my music, he said, comes from my heart as a humble offering to God. This honors God no matter what musical style I use. And so you know that Bach became a famous composer. And we are told that as he wrote out his, his, uh, his, his music at the very top, he would write J.J., which is Latin for Jesu Juva, which means Jesus help me. And at the end of every score, or every, I'm probably using, if I'm using wrong musical terms, please forgive me. I did not pass that class, okay? I, I, you know, whatever, you get it. But at the end of everything he wrote and composed, he wrote this phrase, and maybe you've heard it before. The letters, and it's up here, this is an actual uh, picture of one. It says, S-D-G, Soli Deo Gloria. All his music was literally for the glory of God. Many of you have listened or been to the Kaufman Center somewhere where you've heard his music. And we can disagree on styles, whether you're country, rap, rock, hip-hop, uh, uh, whatever you do. Some of you can't even hip-hop, to get, uh, you break your ankle, right? But that's a joke, guys. But, but you get the point. One thing we all agree on is these classics are hard to beat. If every person who wrote songs today wrote it for the glory of God, oh, how our radio stations, music players, Spotify's, iTunes, whatever you have would be so much different. But you know, today, when like Bach, we are instinctively, profoundly self-centered people, aren't we? It's all about me. Instead of being for the glory of God, sola deo gloria, it's all solo mio gloria. That is, it's about me and me alone. And we laugh because we know it's true. But that is exactly what we're here to do today is to remind ourselves that our lives, it's not about us. It truly is all about him. Ecclesiastes 3.11, you'll see on the screen says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put the eternity in the hearts of men. By the way, that's why atheists don't exist, because God has already said that he has told them their time is coming. They just don't want to face up to it. Yet it says that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Uh, what we're going to talk about today is the most fundamental thing. SDG, solo, soli deo gloria, means that God, not man, deserves all the praise because he saved us, 
He sustains us and he takes us forever and ever and ever. And you remember that we're preaching through this series to remind ourselves where we came from. Because there's a time and a day where people thought that they could give enough money, they could go to church enough, they could try hard enough. Oh wait, that sounds like today, doesn't it? And yet God would say, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been so righteous for me. No, God says there's none righteous, no, not one, except my son. But the heart of the Reformation is sola scriptura, and from that came grace alone, faith alone, salvation in Christ alone, and finally, solo deo gloria. Salvation is all of God and not of us. So the big idea today is simply this, is that Everything in our lives is for God and his glory. He's the source of everything. He is the sustainer of everything, and he is the goal of everything. What is your purpose in life? Your purpose is exactly what Philippians 3, 8 says. May we never forget this. Paul said, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth or greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. It's not about you. It's not about Tower View Baptist Church. To use a Baptist term, it's not about the Southern Baptist Convention. And, and you would think some people, that's all it's about. It's not about a political party. It's not about your party. You can cry if you want to if it's your party, but it still ain't about you. We are not the point. It's always good to remember to be a Christian is to treasure Christ above all. And friends, I say that. We know that. We get that. But in Romans 11:36, we will see two reasons why God should receive all the glory. And I pray it encourages you today. It's because God's power is perfect and his praise is perpetual. It goes on forever. And I want you to know, if you know Romans, actually, Dave and I were talking about this the other day. He's reading through Romans and we talked about how Romans is a tough book. And we talked about maybe we should preach through that book one time. I don't think anyone would be old enough to take the amount of sermons it would take to preach through the book of Romans. It's tough. But I want you to know, before Paul got here, he to, to praise God for all he is, he's talked about condemnation, I'm going to throw out some big words, justification, sanctification, glorification, predestination, creation, providence, and he wraps it up with a bow and says, all this stuff I just told you about that makes your head hurt in a good way is because God receives all the praise. And friends, that's what it's all about. When you read verses 34 and 35 and you see who can repay the Lord, who has known his mind or who is his counselor, the obvious answer is what? It's nobody. No one can do those things. But everything that's inside of, uh, of Romans 11.31 is one of the most, it is the most inclusive statement in all the Bible and outside the Bible. There's nothing that exists in the entire universe that lies outside of Romans 11.36. There isn't some secondary God. There isn't some thing called Big Bang or evolution. There is everything contained within here who God is and everything that occurs in it. What you just read in Romans 11.36 is the Bible in a nutshell. You ever, did you ever, some of you who went to college or high school and you got behind, did you ever take one of those study guides, like a Cliff Notes version, and try and just cram it all in your head so you'd remember it for five minutes and write it back down on the page, and then you forgot everything as soon as you did it? Well, if that's like you, I pray that this verse blesses you, because here is the Reformation, here is the Bible in a nutshell. It's the entire forest in an acorn. It is all-inclusive, it is knee-bending, jaw-dropping, mind-expanding. That enough descriptors for you because if you understand this then you understand what life is all about who it's all about and what you should be all about i mean and let me just ask you is your worldview about god this big does your worldview include everything we're going to talk about today or is your life so governed by your schedule that seeing god is this big 
it just doesn't fit in the schedule because there isn't enough time in the day. I pray that your mind is blown today as we look at these things. From him, to him, and through him. If you get that, your praise is going to elevate because this is where it starts. Let's start with number one. God's power is perfect. God's power is perfect. You see that in the first part of verse 36. And I know we're not in English class, but you remember what a preposition is, didn't you? Some of you grew up on Schoolhouse Rocks, that old cartoon where you taught your kids what prepositions are. I want you to notice how Paul does theology here. He does it with, through prepositions, from him, through him, and to him. We're going to use that as a framework for this first point, that God's power is perfect. And what that means is that from him, God is the source of all things. There is not some other God that he answers to. And through him, God is the means of all things. And to him, God is the purpose of all things. Ben and I were talking. I appreciate Ben because he, he brings an outside perspective and church things, and I appreciate that. It's making him grow hair on his head, by the way. It's a joke, but whatever. It's, it's a joke, brother. But I didn't put these cross-references up because sometimes it just becomes a bullet list. I just want you to listen to these cross-references from Romans eleven thirty-six and outward. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, one God from the Father, from whom all are all things. We exist for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all things are and for, exists through him. 1 Corinthians eleven twelve. all things originate from God. Ephesians 4, 6, we have one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. Colossians 1.16, speaking specifically of Christ, by him all things were created, created through him and for him. And oh, there's that book called Hebrews. You've never heard of it before, I'm sure. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10, fitting for him for whom all, all things and through whom are all things. Say, Darren, that's really lofty. What are we talking about here? Everything in the entire universe is under God's sovereign control. Every act Every event, every circumstance, every person, every success, every trial, every prosperity are from him, through him, and to him. You cannot have a more towering view of God than this. Even the devil, Luther said, is God's devil. He's at his own bidding. And so God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick, if you want to use that simple language, right? But God can work all things through, and he does it for his glory. And I want to show you three specific ways he does that. And, and we're going to look a little bit broader, but I want you to keep in the context here. Romans eleven thirty six. The first area that God, God's power is perfect, you might say, is in creation. That's the first blank there, is in creation. From him. Creation is from him. We live in a day and an age where everyone believes you came out of some primordial soup and eventually became something that became a something that became you millions and millions and millions of years ago. Friends, we believe you are uniquely created in the eyes of God. That everything God created, he did by the mouth and breath of his word and power. And that God is the uncaused first cause, if you want to use that language. We have not made ourselves. The universe didn't happen without God. All that there is is made by God. Out of nothing comes nothing. But when God creates something out of nothing, he brings it to purpose for something. You know this verse, don't you? Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light. In John 1.3, speaking of Christ, who is fully God, as the Son and the Spirit, our Father and the Spirit. John 1.3, all things came to be by him and nothing was created from him. Hebrews 1.2, through whom, speaking of Christ, he made the world. 
God made all angels. God made all fallen, eventually became fallen angels, demons, people, etc. Everything was made by God. We are not humanists. You know, when you look at the world today, there are many people who believe that everything exists, but, but, but somehow we had a hand in it. Friends, we did not have a hand in anything. God had his hand in anything. From him, creation came. But it was also through him. God holds it all together. You know, some people say that we're just going to blow up this planet, right? We're just going to end up like the planet of the apes and, and, and be, you know, go, go in that. Maybe so. But the Bible reminds us that God holds the worlds in the palm of his hands. He's got the whole world. There's a biblical precedent for that song. And that song's going to be in your head the rest of the day. Even during the Chiefs game, you're going to be saying he's got the whole missed field goals and sacks in his hands. It won't be, that's the other team I'm talking about, of course. But it won't be destroyed, this world, until the end of the age. Colossians 1.17, in him all things hold together, all the laws of gravity, of force, of thermodynamics, words I, don't, I can't explain to you outside of science classroom. He holds it all because God's power is perfect in creation. I mean, you think about the rivers, all the rivers, and the clouds that bring forth, the crystals that come down in rain, the snow, everything. It's by him, it's through him, and it's also to him. He is the purpose of creation. It's not for us, but it's for him. Well, didn't he say subdue the earth? He sure did. But God did this to showcase his majesty and his glory for everyone to look and say, wow, there's a God. And that is a great reminder that Romans says that if someone says, I don't believe there's a God, just simply looking at nature is enough to know there's something bigger than yourself. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. What's the purpose for all creation? To showcase and show off God, to put it that way. Why has God made it all? For his entire pleasure and for his own purposes. Everything has come into being by God's being. That everything was not a big bang. That everything, there was a big bang, and God said, let it be so, and it was. Poof. Please don't let modern day science dictate for you what God has done. Does that mean God and science are at opposition? Not all things, because actually what people are finding is when they go to the Bible, they're finding, the Bible's not a science textbook, but certainly they're finding that everything says, uh, it says about science is false, as has been long held and taught. Everything has come in. But the second thing his power is perfect in is in history and providence. In history and providence, as you will see, or providence and history, however you want to get those in. God's power is perfect that not only has God made the stage, but he takes all what, what takes place on the stage and he prescripts it. Now, I want to be clear here. We're not saying that you don't have a choice in some way in this matter. You make real choices. You put on your pants. Thank you for, wear, thank you for wearing those. And you came to church and you drove here. You got a ride here. You float. Whatever you did, you got here. God did not tell you how to get here necessarily. My point is, is that God and this planet has been prescripted by God. Let me give you some examples. When you were born, when you will die, where you will be born, into what family you were born, how many hairs you will have on your head, what color of hair you will have, then who lives next door to you, what school you will attend. Well, didn't I choose what school? Yes. But you need to know that in history and providence, God has been moving you along all the way to make choices within that context. Well, what about my free will? Oh, please go read Romans chapter 3. Friends, we are dead in our sins. There's nothing good in us. All the experiences of your life, God is not the author of sin, but
but God certainly has been moving you along as part of your master plan. I pray that you see how big God is. All Christians you talk to everywhere agree with this. God's in control. Something happens in the nation, COVID comes, God's in control, pastor. Yeah, amen. But when you get down to the nitty gritty about how much God is in control, we don't want that. Give me God up here, but don't give me God down here. Then your life is not being lived, SDG, to the solely Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone, until you let God into every aspect of your life. It's from him, history and providence. God, before the world, before creation of the world, like a master architect, had a blueprint. Acts 2.23 said it was the predetermined plan of God, Peter said, for Christ to die. We all agree with that, right? Ephesians 3.11 says he has an eternal purpose. Ephesians 1.4 says before the foundation of the world that he did these things. Ephesians 2.10, we looked at that last week, that everything that comes to pass in your life, God has prepared beforehand for good works for you to do. But I want you to hold your spot in Romans. I want you to truck down to Ephesians, will you? Just a couple books over. Will you go to Galatians and Ephesians and just go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11? I want to show you this. Because this shows how wide God's power is perfect, why he deserves all the praise. Soli Deo Gloria. It's a God's glory alone. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Swipe over there, tap over there, flip over there, just get there. And we will read it together. Ephesians 1, 11. And this is what Paul says as he's writing this book to the church at Ephesus. And he's writing a, a big, long sentence, doesn't really have much. Paul would uh, flunk to English class because he has more run-on sentences than most people, right? This is what he says. He's so excited because he knows it all comes from God. And so he writes this in verse 11, ESV. He says, in him, that is in, in God, in Christ, we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined, ooh, according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Four words here. Predestination, purpose, counsel, will. Most of your translations should have those, the newer, even the older ones. Look, here's what Paul's saying. God's power is perfect. From him comes all things. The counsel. What is the counsel? If you can imagine this, and you probably can't, but before everything came to be, the Father, Son, and the Spirit had an inter-Trinitarian chat and they gave thought to every possible scenario and they planned it out. God is not a choose your own adventure God where if you go to page 23 and you don't like it, you flip to page 78 and you hope that your story works out. God's plan is always linear and his plan includes everything that you see and don't see, but his plan goes on no matter who or what is going against it. His power is perfect. But he also has a will. It's a sovereign will. Look at verse 11, that will. That which he has chosen, and it's so precise that all things come after the counsel of his will. Who would be sitting on your left or your right today? The number of cars in your lane as you go home, or maybe you make your own lane and you just drive on the shoulder. I don't know. You figure that one out. Not a sparrow falls. Every hair on the, your head is numbered. Every lot is cast. Proverbs says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. But he also had a purpose. He was resolved. Jonathan Edwards, one of the great preachers of America, wrote a book, uh, wrote several resolutions where he was resolved to do things. In the new year, many people get resolved to do fill in the blank for a week, and then it goes back to old habits, right? But God is even more resolved. His resolve was such that he not turned to plan B or plan C. The plan was always A. 
in preparation for some talks with some folks, I've been reading another local pastor whose name I will leave out, but I will say this. I've been reading his book, and his book is Hogwash Theology. Thank you, Willie, for instilling that theological term in my mind 20 years ago, brothers. You taught me all that. But in this book, this man says that God can change his mind. That when God says something in the Old Testament, that it may not apply today. And, and, and let me back up for a minute. That is true in some sense. We don't follow the laws they used to. There is a plan and a purpose for that. But he says there are things that God said, absolutely, this is how it's going to be, that change based on the culture and the context of the people who are reading the Bible. Did you catch that? Does God change? No. Does his word change? No. Because he has a purpose and he's resolved to do what he came to do. Friend, if you ever have a pastor tell you that God's word changes based upon the whims, the responses, and the surveys of people, run as fast as you heard them speak. Get out of there. Go away. I don't care how loving they say they are. I don't care how much good they do for the community. I don't care who's there that you want to be there with. Get out of there now. Because that is not our God. Our God says, this is the plan, and I don't deviate from it. Join me or don't, this is where we're headed. But the last word you see there in Ephesians 1.11, in relation to Romans 11.36, is that word predestined, which can really get Baptists up in a rile. But it's a destination determined before the journey began. In other words, God's just not passively letting things float through this world. He has a purpose and a plan, all things History, they used to say, is his story. Heard that before? If you believe that, God's the author of everything. God's not the author of sin. God brings glory to himself by sending his son. We know not nothing unless he did this for us. But there is no such thing as bad luck, good luck, happenstance, random chance, random occurrences, blind faith. Those are pagan things. If you believe in God, you believe he's moved your life along the exact trajectory that he wanted it to be, even including your sin. Changes your perspective a little bit, doesn't it? All right, go to back to Romans chapter 11. That is the from him to him. But the really big focus that Paul has in Romans eleven thirty six is this, is that God's power is perfect, and you'll see this on the screen, in salvation. He's led us through creation. God created all things for a purpose, for his glory to show it off. He's been moving history and in providence by his sovereign will, uh, through his counsel, his will, his, his resolve and his predestination. He's been bringing it all to one point, the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. The focal point of history among focal points is that Jesus came to die for you. Why are all things from him, to him, and through him? Because basically it's a bottom line about how you became a Christian. From him. This is true in salvation. God and God alone is the author of salvation. This was not anything. God brought the plan. God has chosen the people. And all those who call upon faith will come to know him. From him. He would send his son into the world to be born of a virgin to live a perfect life, to go to the cross, to take the wrath, to bear the sins, to purchase our salvation, to be buried, to rise again, and to be seated at the right hand of God. That was all his plan. It was not formed in the Roman Catholic Church or at an annual two-day meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention or, or, or in Joseph Smith's mind in, 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 in upper state New York in 1830s as he looked at hieroglyphs. 
It is not from a denomination or a preacher. It is all of God. Your salvation is all of him. And he deserves the praise. But it's also through him. It's from him. He originates salvation, your forgiveness of sin, but it's through him. It's not him and us. It's not me and him. It's not me and my buddy Jesus. It's not, hey, Jesus, okay, cool, you do your part. It's like one of those WWE wrestling matches, you know, and one guy's getting stranglehold, and he gets over there and taps in the other guy, and he comes and piled. No, God didn't need you to pile drive to the devil for him. It is through him. That is, the call is so powerful. It's been planned out by him. It's carried through him, and it's to him. Why are you saved? Why did God save you? He first of all saved you because he wants to bring praise to his name. Oh, Oprah Winfrey, she, is she still around? You've heard me, it's been a while, but I'm going to remind you that when Oprah was a little girl in South Alabama or Mississippi down the deep south, that she went to, uh, she was about our oldest son's age, about nine or ten, and she heard the preacher say that God was a jealous God. Ever heard that phrase before? And thinking like a kid would, and who wouldn't have this thought? She said, well, if God is jealous, like I'm jealous about my sister, my brother, my friend, I don't want anything to do with that God. And she will tell you in her autobiography that she wrote many years ago that the reason she's not a Christian is she thinks that God is selfish. And God is jealous of you because you're stealing his glory. Paul's not saying here, we must own this, get this, and believe this. this uh, Paul's not saying that you did this. God is a jealous God because it really is all about him. But he's not jealous sinfully or with the wrong motives like you and I are jealous. Like people in power try and take over other countries because they want that land. Because they, they, they want the sandbox and kick everybody out of it. When God says something and all things are through him and by him and to him, what he means is, is that first of all, why are you saved? It's to bring praise to his name. But do you know also why you're saved? Because he's such a good God, isn't he? And he included you in that group and brought you in the fold even when he should not have. It is to him. It is for his purposes and his glory that he saved you. Christian, are you just floating along right now? I mean, really, are you? Do you have this Christian worldview? Is your God this big? Do you see him as this big? Is God getting all the praise in your life? Is he getting all the praise in our church? God is so awesome. He doesn't have to change his plans. Man plans his ways, Proverbs 16 says, but God directs his steps. Where does this lead? Well, if God's power is perfect, if that's who it is, look back at verse 36. Look at the second half. Notice that the reason he builds on this is now it leads that God's praise, secondly, is perpetual. It goes on forever. Look at the end of verse 36 again. He says, for him, for from him, and through him, and to him, speaking of God, are all things. Notice there's nothing missing. If, there, if you can put this in modern terms, because we have these at our house, our kids love Legos, we have a drawer full of Legos. But if I ever step on another Lego piece again in my bare feet, I'm probably not going to be a pastor much longer. Do you understand? You know what I'm saying? And when you ask them, have you picked up all the Lego pieces, all things? Uh-huh. Yep. And then I step on it an hour later. You understand where this is going. God does not have any miss missing Lego pieces, so to speak, roaming around the earth. He has all things in him. For what purpose? The end of verse 36. To him, referring to God, be glory forever. Amen. 
what is your response to be? Well, there are four questions that come for this. The first is, unless you believe what he says, you can't praise God to the reason he says. You will have a lesser God to praise because you have a lesser God that you believe in. A lesser understanding of how he works in creation and history and salvation only gets propped up by mood music almost to keep you moving and grooving. But look, who is to be glorified? That's number one. Who is to be glorified? Who is it? Well, he says it there in the verse three words. To him be the glory. To him be the glory. It's not him and us. It's God alone. It's not a partnership or a co-relationship or a cohabitation. It's for God's glory alone. And it's all praise goes to him. We bring nothing to our salvation. It is all founded on him. We've been allowed through Christ to enter the inner throne room. And we are not there at creation when he spoke at all. But God has given us access. Who is to be glorified? It is God alone. That is quite a thing. And I'm going to be very personal with you for a very second. That is quite a thing as I get up here every Sunday. That you need to pray for all the brothers who fill the pulpit here at Tower View Baptist Church and every other place. We know you do. But maybe specifically for this. It is so easy to get up here and try and impress you. To try and, ooh, he's so smart. Or, whoa, man, he alliterates every point. He's such a poet, that Darren, isn't he? It's all for naught, isn't it? Our one purpose up here is to do what God called us to do, is just to give you God's word. We pray we do that humbly. We pray we do that with passion at times because it, we want to own the message that God gives. It's, we want to we share with you what he's doing. But also we want to remind you that it's not about us. It's all about him. Who is to be glorified? Do you know one of the most telling things about people's hearts when a pastor gets in trouble and leaves the ministry? You ever hear those stories like half the people leave with him? You know what they were really there for? They were there for that guy or maybe the band. I don't know. Whatever. The music pastor leaves and goes somewhere else and they all go with him. Look, it's okay to adore and respect people. But if you put them on a pedestal higher than God, you know as well as I do, that puts you in trouble. Who's to be glorified because of all God's done? It's God himself. What is glory? Glory means that everything we do in the service points to him, that everything coronates him. It, it crowns him. As the old song says, we crown him with many crowns because he's the only one that's worthy to be crowned, isn't he? Yes, we are to respect those in authority. And what a line we walk, isn't it? Here on this earth, we are to pray for those who are above us. We're to follow them. We're to respect the elders, respect the government, do all those things. But ultimately, our allegiance is not here. Our allegiance is not who's in the White House or the State House or the Courthouse. It is to God and God alone that we give allegiance. And that's who's to receive the glory. Shouldn't we be more passionate about God than we are about solving who's going to be the next person inside the elections in a couple weeks. And I encourage you under the conscience of the Lord Jesus Christ to express that how you will. But I want you to know if you looked at my Facebook feed and friends of mine, you'd know more about their political candidate than you know about their God. And that can be said for anything, right? Favorite TV show, fill in the blank. So how long should we worship? Number three, how long should we worship? Look back at verse 36. You get this? Forever. What are we going to be doing forever? Are we going to be recounting how many people uh, raised their hand at evangelism meeting? How many people came to VBS? How many snacks we handed out? How many doors we knocked on? How many people we baptized? These are not all bad things. When we go to heaven, it's going to be about recounting the glories of God because he alone is worthy of all the glory. And it's forever. 
We won't care how long the sermon went. We won't care how many songs we sang. We won't care if we met the financial report necessarily, so long as we seek to do all those things to the glory of God. Forever. The old illustration that says eternity starts if you take an eagle and it flies around Mount Everest once a year and knocks off a rock. And however long it takes, it, it takes Mount Everest, what, 29, 30,000 feet, whatever it is, and it levels it out once a year. It finally, after all that time, that eagle knocks off one rock enough to take out Mount Everest to be flat ground. They say eternity has just begun. It is forever and ever and ever and ever. So what should be our response? Look at the very last word. What do you have there? You have amen, don't you? Verse 36, can I remind you that the very last word of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22 is exactly that word, is amen. The grace, he who testifies, Revelation 22, 20, he who testifies, John speaking of himself, says, uh, excuse me, Jesus, who testifies to these things, says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. What does amen mean? We joke about it all the time when someone in, uh, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, so be it. Let it be done. Let what be done? Let God carry out his will. Let God move in creation and providence and salvation. Let him be glorified. Let him receive all the glory. Let all of us just praise the Lord. Because only people who say amen are the ones who believe the first half of the verse. You can't get to the end unless you believe the first. So what does this mean for us? Amy, if you want to put those up for me, please, that would be great. What does this mean for you? First three will be up on the slides. Let's get practical. It's not about you, but I want to speak to you about what this means for your life. It is a reminder, first off, that the gospel is God's gospel. It's not a church. It's not a denomination. It's not a person. It is a person, capital P, the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's not us, lowercase p. Tower View, may we always protect the integrity of the gospel here. That's why we don't just allow anyone in the pulpit or to teach class or to stand up and do whatever. Paul says to do all things with order because we stand accountable someday as a church and as pastors and individuals about how well we have stewarded the gospel here, preached it, taught it, tried to live it out because it is God's gospel. Because it's all about Christ, I don't want a church that serves my preferences. Are the tomatoes out yet? I'm serious. Why do most people, if you're visiting with us, I encourage you to find a church where the Bible's preached. And there are some things, there are different things. How many times as a youth pastor in many years gone by have I heard this phrase? The church down the road has X, Y, Z for my kids. And your church doesn't. And my kids want X, Y, Z. So I'm going to go to that church because they have X, Y, Z. If your parenting and leadership of your children is based upon their whims and preferences, I got nothing for you. But adults, we don't have much of an excuse. Look, every church has a unique offering in the kingdom of God. That's why we pray for churches every week, isn't it? 
is every church is being used by God can be used in a glorifying way. And there are some churches that have more programs and things, and it's okay to go so long as the reasons are valid. But if at the heart of things, you're looking for a church to scratch your itch, whatever it is, can I just list some? Let's be very practical. If you have not seen the 60 Minutes interview by our, our convention president, Bart Barber, I encourage you to go online and listen to that. Bart is a dear friend of mine. I know and trust him well. I don't agree with him on everything. But he rightly hit the chord when he said there are some churches that are more led by how they vote and who they don't vote for than by the Lord Jesus Christ who from to him, through him, in all things receive praise, glory, and honor. You may prefer a church simply because they do some things politically that other churches don't. You may prefer a church because they have better potlucks than others. <laughs> I might actually agree with you there. Uh, but be careful why you attend a church. It is okay to be, they say people stay for two things, the teaching usually and the relationships. That's okay. But if you're simply going to a church because it scratches your itch more than another church and that is your idol, you need to repent and go find it. It is rare and it is so rare to find people who are willing to stay at a church where their preferences aren't met to serve the people of God. So when is it okay to leave a church when they're not preaching truth, when you have a personal reason that is valid scripturally, and maybe geography takes you away. Other than that, be very careful how you church hop. And that's not like, this is not a wounded beast speaking right now. I'm speaking very practically. Because if it's all about God and his glory, yeah, I may have some say in that, but ultimately it's about him. And thirdly, the Bible is ultimately not about me or you. Ooh, did you get that? You're not in every passage. There is a famous sermon. Ben, you know where I'm going with this. There is a famous sermon that was preached with a very muscly preacher in Charlottesville, North Carolina, by a man named Matt Chandler. And, and this muscly preacher is known for taking a Bible text and making it all about him. It's all about you. You're in every verse. You're here. And they, they talked about how they were David and, and Goliath was a sin in their lives. And you got to take the rocks and throw them. Have you ever heard a sermon like that before? David, you were not the rocks that David threw. You're a person. And this preacher that they invited in, who's a conservative preacher, got up and said, you're not David. And you could have heard a hush fall in that congregation because he was telling them in the whole sermon, it's not about you, it's about him. And praise God, he brings you along. But the Bible's not about you. Who's it about? Him. Last two things. What does this mean Practically. If, what we, if anything we have said about God today surprises you or challenges you, I pray it did in a, in a humble way. I really do. But we can worship no more than we know about our God. There's nothing that we said today from Romans 11:36 that is nothing that God has revealed about himself. It's all there in the scriptures. So if you're here today and you say, that might not be my God, I don't see God that way, I would challenge you to look in the scriptures for yourself. Because that's what the Reformation's all about, right? You didn't have the Bible in your language and we got it. So do it. And I just want to close with this. Because of the cross, because of God sending his son for his glory, it ultimately became for our good. And if you're struggling with some sin today, because God is glorified above all things, your sin does not have the last word about who you are. The last words that Jesus uttered on that cross are words you know well, John 19.30. I think that might be one of the most famous verses you know well, three words, it is finished. All to the praise and glory of God. You are important here.
God values you, but make sure everything in our lives point back to him. Will you join me in prayer as we close out today? Father, as we come to you on this beautiful fall day and just reminding ourselves about what you have done for us, Lord, it does seem, I mean, frankly, even speaking this, I feel my pride just being attacked. I feel my uh, just ego melting away, as it were, in the, in the hot sun like snow on a driveway. Lord, and that's a good thing. Because, Lord, it's not that you haven't created us as the crown jewel of your creation. It's not that you haven't endowed us with uh, being created in your image and given us, above all things, responsibility. But, Father, really, at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's not about these lovely people here, whoever's watching or listening later on. It's really all about you. So, Father, forgive us if we've made it anything else. Forgive us if we've tried to steal that glory. Forgive us if we're holding little closets or pockets of our lives that don't fully have you surrounding every inch of it. Father, forgive us in this church if we, even pastorally, have tried to make a name for our church or for ourselves. It is solely Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. And we know that is ultimately expressed in what your Son has done for us. Father, we can brag, we can't boast, we can't do anything about our salvation. It truly is all of grace through faith, as the scripture says, in Christ alone. We love you, Lord. As we sing this last song, would you receive the praise? Thank you for everybody here. May you work in hearts and minds today. You're so good to us. We pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Thank you.